Hi, friend. My name is Amy Joy, and this is the Make Prayer Beautiful podcast. I had a friend ask me about how to help to usher in revival. Uh, The question was sort of like, I have such a passion for this. I want revival so much. And I know in my head that I can't bring it about, but it's like a, a burning for me. So what do I do with that? You know, kind of like, how do you steward that well? And it's such a beautiful question. And I would not say that I personally have ever been part of a revival, but I have friends who have done so. And so I know Bob was part of a revival in when he was over serving in Latvia shortly after the um, Soviet Union fell. Uh, It's so funny. He always says, I was a missionary in the, I think he says the Soviet Union and then the former Soviet Union in Latvia. So I don't know a whole lot about all of the geopolitical things in the early 90s, but uh, I know they had a real outpouring of the Holy Spirit for a season in that area. And then I know my, one of my college mentors had been part of a revival on a campus in, I think in Washington state where when they started, there were, I don't know, three people at the, (laughs) three people as part of the university Christian fellowship. Uh, I don't remember if it was university or one of the other ones, but by the time they left, I don't remember how many years later, not many years later, five years later, maybe 10% of the student body had um, joined the, the the Christian fellowship. And there was just an outpouring of God's spirit. And I remember that uh, my my mentor said, I, I felt like I was, my husband and I were called to to bring revival and to pioneer new works. And so they were excited to go to the University of Colorado where I met them. And I think having experienced this really dramatic turnaround at their previous school, there was a sense of eager expectation, like, yeah, we can't wait to see the move of God here in Boulder. And it wasn't until, I don't know, 25 years later, we were having a conversation about this. And my mentor said, I realized that there had been a group of women in that college town who had been praying for decades for revival on that campus. And so they had done this hard work of seeding the ground in prayer of, or maybe it would be more like plowing the ground or anyway, whatever would be the picture of preparing the soil for the move of God to come in power. And so when they went to Boulder, that ground had not been prepared in the same way. And although there was still a work of God there in Boulder, it was much slower, much more incremental. There wasn't this kind of dramatic, amazing shift. And so I say that because there's, I guess there's a couple of things that I would just say, like there are, there are people who carry revival as one of the things that they passionately long for in the world. They long for God's spirit to move in power, for people to be healed, for the radical signs and wonders to show themselves, for people to be cut to the heart by the goodness of God and to turn from the things that lead towards death. And that is very beautiful. 
there's also the reality that it is <laughs> really entirely unpredictable. And and we can look at history and the history of revival and say, oh, these usually start because there have been people praying. And yet we also recognize, I think Bob was telling me a story about um, some, there was like a Christian businessman in maybe the 1850s who he lived in New York and he started a lunch meeting and it grew radically <laughs> and there was a revival among the, the office workers or something there in New York. And and yet even to get people to come and pray at a lunch meeting, you're like, that already feels a little bit like a revival breaking out. And th- there was, it, it feels a little bit like lightning comes and strikes. Like, why did it happen there? What was that about? And I will also say, when we look at history, I think there are people who earnestly pray for revival to happen, and then it just doesn't. (laughs) And yet, I don't feel like the Lord is displeased, because if he gives the, the passion for revival to someone, then you steward that, and you pray for it, and you you seek God's face for it. But how he chooses to pour out his spirit is in many ways up to him. And so I guess, let's see, some of the things then for me, there's a level of saying, one of the most helpful things that I have read in the marketing world is that you never want to have your, uh, I guess, goals tied to somebody else's decision or their action. So it's far better from a goal standpoint, rather than saying, we want 10 new clients this month. It's far better to say, I am going to call 50 people. So you can call 50 people. That's up to you, whether you pick up the phone or not. But whether somebody else says yes to the invitation is up to them. Uh, Like your goal is not dependent on them. So in terms of saying, how do I bring about revival? Uh, probably the first question would be, I I know I need to pray for this. So how much time am I supposed to do that? Or what frequency is this supposed to be on my heart? Or how often am I supposed to talk to somebody else about this? Or what does it look like for me to prayer walk around my environment And what's the frequency that I'm supposed to do that? And having said that, I know there are certain staff who go to a new campus with InterVarsity and they will spend the summer before their first year and they just pro-walk the campus eight hours a day. And it might be for longer than the summer. It's kind of like, but we know we need to go and seed the ground with prayer first. And so however long that takes until we have a release in the spirit. So that would be the first I guess, thing that I would say is that instead of saying like, "Ah, I can't make it happen. Of course not. So then you say, Lord, what's the faithful thing? What's the, what are you calling me to do? And then you do the part that's yours faithfully, or, and if you don't do it perfectly faithfully, then you give the the failure parts to God and say, oop, yep, thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Uh, But that's, that's the first thing is to not take on the responsibility of outcome, but to take on maybe the responsibility to just do faithfully the part that you are supposed to do. 
And then there's also the level of truly entering into the fact that it's actually just God's decision how he moves. And so I think if what that means is that you come to the Lord and you weep before him because he's not acting as you want him to, (laughs) yep, those would be the tears of God. Like, I actually, Lord, want you to do this so much. And then to just be honest with him and be okay with whatever form those prayers take. And I think then there's also part of saying, Lord, is there anything else that I am supposed to be doing? And then just listen to what that response might be. It might be like, oh, once a week you're supposed to just soak in the presence of the Lord, which means resting in his presence, listening to um, very, I don't know if I'd say very soothing worship music, but just worship music that's very focused on God. And it's not meant to be sung along with, it's, it's really just being in the Lord's presence. And worshiping him for who he is. It's, it's like the opposite of like, let's go do things for the Lord. And that can be like, if Bob is like, I love that because it's like cross training because normally he's all like, let's go take the land. And then you come to soaking and it's like, okay, Lord, it's all about you. Yes. Thank you. And so it could be that that's part of what he would want you to do. It could be that there's uh, some kind of a prophetic declaration that he wants you to do. Like, go to the corners of your neighborhood and take a stick that you find and just like bang on the ground for a while. And not just three times, like in the story with one of the Old Testament prophets where he told them the king to hit the ground and the king did three times and then stopped. And the prophet was like, what were you thinking? (laughs) That's the number of times you get to defeat the enemy. And you should have just kept hammering away because then you would have had victory. Who knows? I mean, that was one prophetic declaration, but who knows what the Lord would give. So Lord, I pray for those of us who are called to carry and steward revival in the midst of what looks like a dry and barren land. Lord, I thank you that you give us Ezekiel 37 as a beautiful picture of how there's dry bones that have no life. And you spoke to the prophet Ezekiel and said, speak to these bones that they would live. And when the prophet spoke that they they stood up and they were enclosed in flesh, but they didn't actually have any life in them yet. And then you said, no, speak again. And that in this, after the prophet spoke again, that then the wind of the Holy Spirit came and brought life to these, these bones or this army of <laughs> flesh-looking characters that had no life. <laughs> and so, Lord, we recognize that you ask us to speak things into existence that are not, but that we don't actually have the power to do any of it. That all that we do requires that wind of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us peace in the journey, that you would give us the ability to move forward as you would have us move forward. You would speak clearly so that we can hear you. We thank you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.